Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I noticed today at uh, coffee breaks, as I, uh, it's part of my obligation on during coffee break Sunday to visit all classes and make sure they all have something to eat. And, uh, and uh, this morning as I went around and visited, I noticed lots of red, white, and blue on the tables. And I even noticed some food uh, decorated red, white, and blue. I, uh, Dallas class had uh, eggs decorated red, white, and blue. And I uh, borrowed one of those and stuck it aside for tomorrow for a uh, coffee break. And I still got the red uh, dye on my hand to prove it, actually. So um, it's uh, July 4th weekend, and I trust you had a good uh, day yesterday uh, celebrating with family and friends. Uh, at our house, uh, the flag is out at our house today, and uh, my wife is the keeper of the flag at our house. Uh, she's the one that's always uh, diligently put it out for... Uh, Fourth of July, Veterans Day, try to remember Flag Day, uh, Memorial Day, and uh, this, uh, her family, her dad, I assume it was her dad, always uh, put the flag out as well. Our neighbor, next door neighbor, I live in a house I grew up in, many of you know, so I spent a lot of years there. I was only gone for college and then six years in Minneapolis, and we moved back here and uh, bought the house for my mom, and uh, so I've been there a long time. My next door neighbor, uh, Mac and Nita. Uh, Mac, like so many World War II veterans, that wasn't really his name. His name, last name was McConnell. So, of course, he went by Mac. That's all I ever knew him by was Mac. Uh, Mac always put his flag out. Always put his flag out. And I knew Mac for, man, they moved in, I think, back in 1951. Our family moved in in 1950, so we go way back. And uh, Mac always had his flag out very uh, diligently every, every holiday. And... Um, one day, when uh, some years later, not too many years before Mac died, uh, we went out fishing together. He, he was an avid fisherman, and I actually bought the little rowboat from him because he couldn't take it out anymore. And I would take it down to Green Lake with my kids, and we'd go fishing once in a while. And uh, so one time, I invited Mac to come along because he was a really avid, loved, loved fishing. So he, went, he was glad to go. And uh, we went. I had, mem- I had childhood memories of going with him to Okanagan to go fishing. He would take my brother and I with his, his family fishing. And as we were out fishing, this one time out in the lake, uh, for the first time, uh, Mac uh, is that fan. <laughs> so, uh, for the first time, um, Mac shared with me some of his experiences from World War II. And uh, Mac was a medical corpsman uh, in the Army, in the South Pacific on places like Iwo Jima. And, uh, and he shared some of his stories. And uh, the first time, really. And it was pretty personal. And so, of course, had a little bit of appreciation for uh, Max diligent putting his flag out uh, on holidays. And so when we put our flag out, I think of Mac, when Teresa puts the flag out and told our neighbor, our neighbor who she also grew up there, lives there, this, this is also a memory of your dad um, because of that. Uh, this, this is a holiday that, that we celebrate uh, the birth of our country, the United States of America, Independence Day. And as we celebrate, um, I was thinking about the topic at, some time ago before, and I was just thinking about the topic of citizenship and uh, what that means. 
And, uh, you know, today, uh, whether you're a citizen of the United States of America, I know we have people here who have dual citizenship, others who hold citizenship in other countries all over the globe, really represented in our congregation here. And um, we are all citizens of somewhere. And, uh, of course, we are all residing here in the United States, so we are all residents of the United States of America. And as we thought about this, and we think about this today, my thoughts went to a a passage in Philippians. So I'd like to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And I want to consider this this morning. And this is just kind of a, every so often, uh, I just have just a sermon. It's not in a series. It's just kind of a standalone. And this is one of those that's kind of of holiday-related, sort of thematic. Um, uh, Philippians chapter 3. But let's pray as we look at the Bible. Father, as we open your word, we pray that uh, we might hear your words. Our heart would be attentive to your words. Uh, we thank you for the freedom we have to come and speak your word, to listen to it, to hold it up, and to proclaim it. We do not take this for granted. Even as I uh, mentioned this morning, Father, with friends and others who have sacrificed much uh, for the freedom that we have. And Lord, we do not forget that. And on weekends like this especially, we are reminded of that. And so we pray we'll listen to your word now these next few moments. Be with our children as they gather around your word as well. And we pray that they too might hear your word and it might impact their lives today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In Philippians chapter 3, and the Apostle Paul writing this church at Philippi, after he talks about um, what we shouldn't do, And verse 18, for as I have often told you before, and I now say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And then he goes on to describe this type of lifestyle. But then he comes to verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the powers that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And you'll notice the NIV chapter 4 verse 1 goes with this thought. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my crown and joy, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. The Apostle Paul uses a term that was very important to this, this Roman colony of Philippi. This word citizenship. And so I... I you know, I just would say this morning, of course, that all of us who know Christ as Savior hold dual citizenship. We hold dual citizenship. I am, a, I am a citizen, born citizen of the United States of America, and I am a citizen of heaven. I hold dual citizenship. And that word was a very important word in the Roman context, and especially the city of Philippi. You know, I happen to notice in my Bible, this particular one I'm using this morning is my, um, uh, my NIV study Bible, and I thought the introduction was, was very helpful. The city of Philippi was named after King, King Philip II of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great. It was a prosperous Roman colony, which meant that the citizens of Philippi were also citizens of the city of Rome itself. They prided themselves on being Romans, dressed like Romans, and often spoke Latin. No doubt, this was the background of Paul's reference to the believer's heavenly citizenship. Many of the Philippians were retired military men who had been given land in the vicinity and who in turn served as military presence in this frontier city. It was a Roman colony that may explain why there were not enough Jews there to permit an establishment of a synagogue. And we're going to look at that 
in just a second. Being a Roman colony was a very important thing. It was a Roman outpost, it, but, but it was, a, it was a, a Roman city. And in fact, the word that's used here for citizenship really has the idea, we, we might say, of commonwealth. There was the Roman commonwealth. Now, Rome was a city-state. Rome was a city-state, but it also had all these various colonial cities and places that was, was part of its legal system, part of its government, part of its constitution, and Philippi was a Roman colony. There's actually a little play on words here because if you go actually go back to chapter 1 and verse 27 in Philippians, it doesn't come out quite as clear in the English. But the word uh, politumai, uh, politics, for example, the word that, that is the base of that word in Philippians chapter 3, that you are citizens of heaven, it actually shows up in another slightly different form in verse 27 of chapter 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves wor- in, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I, the, the word that's kind of buried in there comes out, doesn't come out in English very clear. Uh, conduct yourselves worthily is the, really the same root word that's used in chapter 3 for our citizenship is in heaven. It's how you live, how you participate, how you act in this commonwealth. And so in the book of Philippians, we really have this kind of a word play because citizenship was extremely important and honored and uh, held in high regard in the city of Philippi. They valued it. They treasured it. It was very important to them. And then Paul tells them and reminds them here and in chapter 3 that I read to you that, yes, you are Roman citizens. You are, you are part of this empire. You, you, you value this. And this is important. You are also citizens of heaven. You are part of the commonwealth of heaven. And in that sense, as part of the commonwealth of heaven, if you will, you are an outpost of God's presence on this earth. Just as Philippi was an outpost of the city of Rome, you believers, and this is appropriate for all believers in all ages, we are in a sense an outpost. We are a a, 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 a citizens of heaven who have been placed here in another place as citizens of heaven. But I am also a citizen of the United States. And, you know, and I, and I reflected, and we put in the bulletin this morning, it was on your email this week, of course, too, um, the, the passage from Romans chapter 13, which is one of the few passages where Paul specifically speaks of our relationship to government. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Now remember, this is a man who's going to be killed by this government. He, along with the other apostles, many of them are going to be executed. Um, Well, they're all going to be executed, but some by the Roman government, and he eventually will be executed by the Roman government. And it's the same apostle who says, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, who rebels against the authorities, rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Rulers are not, do not hold terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. So, you know, and he talks more about that. And then at the, at the, at the end, verse 5, therefore it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. And then finally, verse 7, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So the Apostle Paul dealt with this whole issue. He was of Roman citizenship, of living in this world, living under 
government authorities and the respect that we owe and the understanding that God is in charge of all authority. At the same time, we are citizens of heaven. You know, I got to thinking about this in Philippians. Because, you know, as we celebrate our uh, Independence Day, our, our heritage in, the, in, in, in our continent here, our, our heritage, really, it comes from Europe. It comes from what we call Western civilization. Um, many of your uh, descendants, uh, those who came before you, I mean, um, like my, my mom's family, were all Welsh, came from England. My father, of course, came from the island of Rhodes. But our culture and our context really came from Western, from, from Europe. And that is really the tradition that birthed our nation and our religious tradition um, that was so very much influenced by that. And the interesting thing is, I thought about this, is that the gospel first incursion, if you will, into Europe, as we understand Europe, and which really has influenced who we are in North America, really was the city of Philippi. And I want you to turn for a minute to Acts chapter 16. And this is why it's so interesting that Paul uses these this kind of wordplay and his thoughts on citizenship with the people of Philippi. And I want you to go back to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 16. And this is after the Jerusalem council. And Paul and Barnabas have split up. And Paul now has a new traveling companion who is Silas. And as they are going to go back to visit the churches in modern-day Turkey in Asia Minor, where they were on the first journey, and they are going to go back there, and as they begin to launch this ministry and begin to travel, um, Paul has, has a burden to go to across the water into what we call Greece and Macedonia, which really is the frontier of Europe. And in fact, we, we see in verse 7, when they came to the border of My Asia, chapter 16, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by My Asia, went down to Troas. They're looking for directions from God, where to go, north to south, where, where should we go? But during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, from Europe, if you will, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul was the apostle to the Gentile world. He was given this commission from the very beginning to take the message of the gospel to the Gentile world. And this, this, is, this is a historic moment. Up till now, that Gentile world has been in, in the Greek uh, Hellenistic cities in, in Turkey and in, in north of Palestine. And uh, down to Alexandria, apostles have gone and so forth. But now, for the first time, he's being called across the water. It's not a very, you know, if you look at a map, it's a pretty small expanse of water to cross there. But it is significant. And so they make this trip into Europe, if you will, in chapter 16. And from verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and we sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day to Neapolis. And from there, we traveled to Philippi. We were in Philippians chapter 3. Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And this was the reference in the study Bible that there weren't enough Jews there to have a synagogue. Paul was the gent uh, the Apostles of the Gentile world, every place he went, he went first to the synagogue. 
And in the synagogue, he found people who believed in the same God, people who believed in the Old Testament, people who were expecting a Messiah. And it was the natural place to begin this ministry of sharing the gospel. And from that context, Jew and Gentile came and these churches started. But in this particular city, there's not enough people there. So they go outside to the river where they had a time of prayer. And when they got there, we sat down, began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth in the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. We don't know if she was a Jew or a Gentile from this, from this passage. It could have been either, but she was a worshiper of the one true God. And when she and the members of her house were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house And she persuaded us. And hence we have the start of this first church in Europe, if you will. The first convert is a woman named Lydia. The very first convert in Paul's ministry is a woman named Lydia who was outside the city at a time of of, of Jewish prayer, if you will. The story proceeds there. And we're not going to take time to read all of it because I want to focus on something toward the end here. That as they are there and as Paul begins to minister and he stays there and he preaches the gospel, um, he gets in trouble because there are those who feel he's, he's cutting into their business. You can read it yourself and see what happens here. And some people begin to cause trouble and to instigate a riot, if you will. And they, and they end up uh, um, accusing him of doing things that were unlawful and by the Roman government, by the Roman law. And it says in verse 22, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After that, having been severely flogged. Now this is, this is serious. This is the serious kind of flogging like the Lord Jesus Christ went through. People died from this kind of flogging. He was probably permanently marked and disfigured from this flogging. This was serious. And Paul and Silas were, were flogged and they were thrown into prison and, and they were put in stocks in the inner cell. These were dangerous men now in verse 24. And of course, if you read through the story, you know what happens. Midnight, Paul and Silas are singing. I often wonder what they were singing. As a kid, you know, I, I saw a lot of pictures of, of uh, Paul and Silas is smiling and singing away, you know. And I thought about that. Uh, these guys have been beaten up. They're bloodied. They're bruised. You, they're, they're, they're close. People die from this kind of flogging. Um, I don't know that they were smiling and singing. They might have been singing songs of, of begging for God's salvation and for his help and strength in the face of their enemies, uh, singing those Jewish uh, psalms and so on about that. Um, whatever it is, they're singing. And, of course, there's an earthquake. Their chains fall off. They are freed along with their prisoners, and the guy who's in charge, when he sees this and realizes what has happened, draws his sword and is about to kill himself, because under Roman law, it would cost him his life to lose his prisoners. And just as he's about to kill himself is when the Apostle Paul says, don't do that. I'm, we're here. We're, it's okay. And the, this famous statement where the, the, the jailer, verse 29, comes before them, and he says, sirs, What must I do to be saved? Please remember this verse. Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. What must I do to be saved? And you notice the emphasis, what must I do? This is the same question people will have today. There must be something I have to do to be saved. There's got to be something. 
to please, to please God, to do something. And notice Paul's response. And you, you should remember, if nothing else, you should remember this verse. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You notice they don't tell him what to do in the terms of acts and worship and um, payment or any rituals or rites. Believe. If you were to ask that question today, if you're here today and you, and you were to ask, well, I know you, you, you talk about being saved from sin, being saved for eternity from hell, being saved and forgiven. What, is, what, do you talk, what must I do? And I tell you, it's the same truth today. It hasn't changed. Paul is carrying out his commission to the Gentile world. Jew and Gentile alike, he preaches this message, and we preach the same message today. Believe. Believe. That's what you do, if you will. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And this man believed. And we have the nucleus, and we have the start here of the church at Philippi, that we have the letter to the Philippians. Lydia, a lady out on the river, a worshiper of God, the Philippian jailer, both of their families and others. And this becomes the nucleus of this church in Philippi. But I want you to know something interesting about this story. Verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrates, the Roman officers, the Roman government, sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. I'm not, it doesn't say about, you know, about the earthquake and all this kind of stuff. Let these men go. I don't know if they were afraid after what happened that maybe these guys better leave or maybe they're just done with them. Let them go. And the jailer came and told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Go in peace. You know, they've been whipped. They've been abused, misused. They're bloodied. They're beaten. Go in peace, my friends. Okay? Now notice what Paul says. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, Paul and Silas. And they threw us into prison, and now do they want to rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out of prison. And the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them, and they did come, and they did escort them out from prison and requested them, please leave the city. Because this is big trouble, friends. These people have flagrantly violated and broken Roman law, and it's serious. The Romans had a very sophisticated and a very um, developed legal system for citizens. And it just so happens that nobody thought to ask that were these men citizens. It was assumed these Jews from, the, from, from Palestine, if you will, and Antioch, obviously weren't citizens. They were. Paul and Silas were both citizens. And they had rights as Roman citizens. And when they said, no, let them come and escort us out of prison, they came and escorted them out of prison. And they begged them, please leave. This is, this is big trouble. These guys could be in big trouble. You know, much of our legal system, if you think about it, much of our legal system has been, uh, is much in debt to, to, to Roman law. It, you know, democracy had its birthplace in Greece. But what we consider law, that's why there's so many Latin terms and phrases that lawyers have to use and that you use when you sign documents. 
because it's very heavily influenced by Roman law. It was very developed. And for citizens, uh, it, it was very important. Roman law for citizens, they, it meant a lot to them. It meant a lot to them, and it meant a lot to the Apostle Paul, and he called upon it here. And you know, I, want, I, and I asked, asked the question, why didn't Paul mention this before? Why didn't, he, why didn't he stop the beating and say, you know, we're Roman citizens, by the way? It would have stopped. I don't know why he didn't. I don't know if in the rush of things that he couldn't be heard or he chose not to, but he and Silas had a right to say, you, you, have, to put, you have to put us on trial. You can't just beat us. You know that, and they would have. It would have stopped. Why was Silas chosen by God to be his new companion instead of Barnabas? You have now two Roman citizens traveling together. And what were the results for this church in Philippi? This, this, is, this is the new outpost, the new colony, the new Christian uh, church in Europe, in Philippi, in Macedonia. And this is important, this, this, this first footing in, in Europe. And you know, this whole episode, I'm sure, had an impact on the surrounding, this Roman colony. This whole situation may have given some impetus, may have given some, some, some uh, if you will, credibility to this new group. That, hey, these, these men, these people are Roman citizens that founded this group. And I'm sure that story spread pretty quickly. And it may have been a help to this ministry in Philippi for the fact of how this all played out. But why didn't Paul say something? Well, you know, if you go to Acts chapter 22, you'll see another account that Luke tells us, Paul's traveling companion, that in Luke chapter 22, when Paul is back in Jerusalem, and once again, as he is it's so often in trouble, because people are opposed to his ministry, he's back in Jerusalem He's come back from his second journey. He's come back from his third, his, his, his journeys. He has three missionary journeys. He comes back, and he's in Jerusalem. And this time, it's his Jewish brothers and sisters who are, are opposed to him. His own people that were with him said, don't go there. And if you do go there, get out of there quickly because you're in danger. And he was held up. He was asked to come and give a report of what he is doing. And he does get an opportunity to speak. At the very end of his speech, in verse 21, he tells them not only about his conversion, but he says to them that the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And in this particular context among the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, this was so radical, this was so uh, uh, impossible that God would do this, that you'll notice it's at that point that they listened to Paul until he said this, then they raised their voices and said, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Why? Because he said, God said to me to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And when the whole place exploded and they said, kill him. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve to live. This is blasphemy. And so they take him and they're shouting and they're throwing their cloaks and they're flinging dust in the air. This place, this is out of control, friends. This is a, this is a mob scene. And verse 24, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks and he directed once again that Paul be flogged. That's another time. Flogged. And, and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. And as they stretched him out to flog him, this time Paul said to the centurion, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't been found guilty? He waits till they're just about ready to flog him. And he steps up and says, is this legal? Can you do this? 
And when they heard this, he went to the commander, reported it. What are you going to do? He said, this man's a Roman citizen. And the commander went to Paul and said, tell me, are, are you really a Roman citizen? Because if, if you're lying, it is very clear in Roman law, if you're lying, you are going to be tortured to death. You don't lie about this. You don't, they didn't ask him for his papers or anything else because everybody knew if you're lying about this and you're found out, you will be tortured brutally to death. Are you really a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he said. And the commander said to him, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. And Paul says, ah, but I was freeborn. I was born a citizen. And those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. And the commander himself was alarmed when he realized he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. And he was now subject to their care and not to the mob. Because this was so important. It's interesting, we don't know how Paul's father got his citizenship if he was born a citizen. You either received your citizenship through military service, you could purchase it with a lot of money, or it was somehow conferred upon you by the Roman government for some type of act of service, something you did. Paul's family hailed from Tarsus, which was also a Roman colony, which in which many people had been granted citizenship as they were Roman subjects as well. We don't know how Paul got his citizenship, but he was freeborn, and it was very important. And this time he appealed to his citizenship. As a citizen, he had a right to trial. He had freedom of travel. He had protection of the Roman army, and he had the right to appeal to the Roman emperor if that was necessary. As a Roman citizen, he also had a right to vote, run for office, and own property. Listen, friends, in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God knew what he was doing, of course. When he called the apostle Paul and Silas, being Roman citizens was a tremendous advantage to them for their work and ministry. They had freedom of travel. They had freedom of the Roman law. They had protection. And if need be, they could appeal to the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court, if you will, before Emperor Nero himself. And finally, we see how this actually plays out toward the end of, of Paul's life, or the end of the story in Acts. He once again, the, the Romans, you read the book of Acts and you really get the impression the Romans aren't sure why they're holding him prisoner, except maybe for his own safety in Jerusalem. And finally, in his last appeal there in verse chapter 26, and he's, he's before the local magistrate, the king they called him. And in verse 30, the king rose. And with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them, they left the room. And while talking with one another, they said, this man's not doing anything that deserves death or punishment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul had the right to appeal his case to Caesar, and he did. And they said, you know what? To Caesar you've appealed, to Caesar you will go. And that began Paul's journey for the first time to the city of Rome. He wanted to go to Rome, probably not under these conditions, but he wanted to go to Rome in Spain. He tells the Romans that in chapter 15, on my way to Spain, I'm going to come and visit you. It hasn't happened. And Paul now is going to Rome as a Roman citizen because he's exercised the right to appeal to Caesar. Now, what does all this have to do with us as we come and close this message this morning? Why was I thinking about this? Well, I just, the thought of citizenship was on my mind, thinking of the 4th of July, and this thought of dual citizenship, 
that we are citizens of heaven. For whatever reason, God chose to place me here. For whatever reason, my forebears came to this country. My father, first generation. My mother, probably second, third generation. For whatever reason, I could have been anywhere. But God placed me in this community. Why is this church here? Gary's asked us to pray for our community. He's asked you to consider walking around a small part of your neighborhood and praying for Shoreline. Why has God placed this church here? Why are we an outpost here in Shoreline? Why where you live? Wherever you live in the Puget Sound area or if you're visiting from somewhere else, why has God placed you there? Why has he done that? God does not do things randomly. They are for a reason. We believe strongly in that. You are where you are. You are where you work. You are where you go to school. You are where you live, whether you're retired, whether it's an apartment, a condo, a home, living with your family, whatever it is, you are there because God puts you there. God puts your office. God puts your place of work. God put that job site. God puts you where he wanted you. Wherever it is, that's where God wants you. And God put the Apostle Paul where he wanted him. And he wants him now in Rome. And I just, I think it's appropriate today, friends, that as citizens of heaven, and this question comes up, you know, if it comes down to it, who do we obey, the government or God? If it, if it comes down to that, I've been asked that recently. Who do we obey? Well, I think the Lord Jesus Christ actually solved that one in a pretty simple statement. They gave him a coin. And they say, or they, they ask him a question, should we pay taxes to Caesar? This is a big question to the, to the Palestinian Jews. Most of them were not citizens. Most of them did not have rights. Most of them resented the Roman government. This was their land, not Rome. And remember what Jesus said? Give me a coin. Whose picture's on it? Caesar. And what did Jesus say? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. Jesus really solved it. When there comes a time where your conscience requires that your citizenship in heaven requires that God be obeyed first, then of course that is our first responsibility because we are citizens of heaven. We are also citizens on this earth. And we have a responsibility to live as civil and respectful people. We have not only the, the, the privilege, but the, thinking of our culture and our tradition here, we have the, the privilege to participate and to be engaged. You should vote. You should take serious. The Apostle Paul took serious his right as a Roman citizen. Why? Because it was advantageous to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to his citizenship in heaven. And that's why he can write in Romans 13, inspired by the Holy Spirit so strongly about obeying authorities, respecting authorities. But at the same time, Paul was executed by these authorities. When a push came to shove, he was a citizen of heaven. He could not deny that. And he could not deny what God would ask of him. And this 4th of July weekend, I am reminded of the privileges and the responsibilities that we have living in a free land. And I'm also reminded of my responsibility and the privileges I have as a, as a, as a pastor and as a member of the church, the body of Christ, as a Christian and my citizenship in heaven. And friends, while the door is open 
Uh, you know, we have one of the most amazing articles that's ever been in the history of mankind, the First Amendment. The First Amendment. It is one of the most powerful documents, if you will, that's ever been penned. And we have the right today. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us can. But I have the right and responsibility and privilege today of freedom of religion and freedom of speech. And we have the responsibility today to make use of that and to proclaim God's word, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that people might come to Christ and receive salvation and eternal life, forgiveness for sins in heaven instead of hell. That's part of the Bible. That's in the Bible. We have a, a privilege today to propagate. We have a privilege to worship. We have a privilege to send missionaries as, as citizens, as a citizen of the United States of America. We can send missionaries around the world. And even like Paul, they have protection of the Roman government where they go. What a privilege. How many people in the history of the world have had privileges like that? It's why we're committed to missions around the world and missions here in our country. We have the responsibility and the privilege with the discussion, of course, of marriage. And, and you know, the, the, no one's ever defined marriage for us, but the Bible. We have the Bible. We take a literal view of Scripture in our church. And we have the privilege today in our church of doing what we can to establish and found and encourage strong marriages where, where, where children are raised. And next week, we're going to have a baby dedication. We have four babies to dedicate next week. What a privilege. It's our privilege and responsibility to... to, to to develop and to put our resources where God has allowed us today to propagate the truth of the gospel, to propagate God's word, to be responsible as citizens, but also to take that privilege seriously. And we are reminded this 4th of July of the privilege of citizenship that we have to be engaged, to participate, to be civil, to be respectful, yes, but to be obedient to God's word and to share his word and to take advantage while a door is open to use that privilege as the apostle Paul did for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When all is said and done, friends, that is the most, that is the reason why here, if we don't do our job, if we don't preach this Bible from this pulpit, who's going to do it? You tell me who's going to do it. This is why we are committed in this church to preaching the word of God, to sharing the gospel of salvation to helping develop and encourage strong families and Christian values because we are committed to the literal interpretation of God's word. And so this 4th of July, I want to encourage you, friends, to commit yourself to your citizenship in heaven and to the responsibilities we have here on earth and to take advantage and enjoy and participate in the freedoms that we have that Throughout the history of the world, very few people have enjoyed. And to take that seriously, and in the spirit, as the Apostle Paul did, to not be afraid to use those to further the work of God and of His Word. Happy Fourth of July. It's a good holiday. It's good. The flag is flying at our house, and uh, it'll be put away after the 4th. And it'll come out again um, the next holiday like that. And I'll think of my friend next door, Mac. And the price and the service he gave and all my other friends and those who you know. And we should stop and give God thanks for the freedom we have in this country.
to worship the Lord and to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to close with the hymn. And after we do, we're going to invite our mission team because we have the freedom to send our young people and train them to serve him. And they're going to go out in a mission experience. And we're going to invite them forward and have a word of prayer with them before we're dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, I want to at this time thank you again, once again, for the freedom we have. We thank you for this place where you have placed us. Uh, Lord, uh, with all the challenges and difficulties, there are the blessings and the privileges and responsibilities. And Lord, uh, what a privilege to live here and, and to have the freedom to propagate the gospel as we have done today, without fear of anybody coming in and stopping us. We have brothers and sisters around the world who have met in great danger and fear today. And we pray for them, Lord, and we lift them up to you, as we always do. But we do thank you. And we pray, Lord, that we will be good stewards, responsible citizens of heaven and of this earth. That we will, as we just sang, that we will ask for nothing but the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the spirit of the apostle whom we've even looked at this morning, of that sacrifice and that commitment, waking up every day on many of those journeys, wondering where he'll spend in jail that night, who's going to beat him that day, he and Silas and his traveling companions, and he'll ultimately give his life. Lord, for that tradition that we stand in, we ask you today for the strength and the courage and the commitment and discipline to serve you and to give our lives to you to raise our family in the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to that end, I ask your blessing on these young people and the adults who are traveling with them. We pray your protection, your care. We pray for wisdom for them throughout this next week. They are going to have opportunities to share the gospel. They're going to be asked questions by children, precious children whom you love, just as you took them upon your own knee and blessed. Give them wisdom. Give them your words. Give them your hands. Give them your heart. And may those children and any people they come in contact with this coming week, may they see the Lord Jesus Christ in their face and in their words and in their heart. And I thank you so much for Susie and all the leaders, Lord, the commitment they made, the sacrifice they're making to spend this week on this ministry opportunity. And so to that end, we pray your blessing upon them. We look forward to hearing a wonderful report. And we pray for the furtherance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through their ministry this week. We pray this in your name. Amen.